This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. For those seeking genuine transformation, SoundsTrue.com is your trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. Many voices, one journey. SoundsTrue.com. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today I speak with Alex Theory. Alex is a talented musician, a young person that I would call a hipster, someone who draws upon his training in shamanic practice, psychology, and music production in order to develop new techniques and approaches in music and sound therapy. Through Sounds True, Alex has released a new series called Full Spectrum Sound Healing. It's a four-CD exploration of the healing frequencies and sonic characteristics of the elements light, earth, air, and water. Alex and I spoke about the role of sound technology in the 21st century. We also talked about the important work of Alfred Tomatis and the sound frequency of the earth itself, what's called the Schumann resonance. Here's my conversation with Alex Theory. Alex, I think of you as this San Francisco hipster, young guy. When you came and you visited Sounds True, you were wearing tights that had, you know, snakes crawling up your legs or something like that, with this incredible, huge mission commitment to sound and healing. And to begin with, I'd just like to know more about how you became so dedicated to the world of sound and healing. Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, Well, let's see. I've been interested in sound ever since I was about two years old. And I remember my parents playing some kind of funky Russian polka album. And I just remember dancing and just feeling so joyous um, at the frequencies that this interesting machine was emanating. And, um, you know, my brother was uh, much older than me and uh, a musician in Chicago uh, at the time. And and once again, uh, during my early childhood, I was surrounded by blues and and music. And so sound in and of itself has always been, um, you know, a solace for me, a place where I could kind of just go and and get immersed and retreat from the world and, and just really feel energized and activated so, um, you know, it just kind of uh, was a natural evolution, Tammy, um, as I went to college and began to study psychology. Um, contrary to what I wanted to do, my parents were really kind of set on me um, doing something more useful in the world. <laughs> and uh, so I, I decided to study psychology, but nevertheless, my love for music was ever prevalent. And um, as, as I began to study psychology, I kind of snuck in a bunch of music classes. And, and to make a very long story short, you know, the worlds began to overlap because I learned about the field of music therapy and uh, about the amazing, you know, uses of sound and, you know, sound to alleviate pain and various environments. And so once I discovered that, it was kind of like I'd merged um, my two favorite things, which was wellness and, and self-transformation and sound. Now, I know you've studied a bit how different ancient cultures used sound and healing, and I wonder if you could just summarize for me a couple of the highlights of that study and what has really turned you on when you look at cultures such as the culture of Egypt and India and Greece. In those cultures, how was sound used for healing? It's a great question, and, you know, I perceive sound as a fundamental element. Um, And what I mean by that is, you know, uh, throughout the universe, there are some basic building blocks from which other uh, things are built. Um, Light is one of those things. Um, And sound as well is considered, uh, in many ancient traditions, a primordial element. Uh, In many of the creation myths uh, from the Vedic traditions, from the Hopi traditions, and even from the Christian tradition, you know, sound is a creational force in the universe. And to me, you know, on a very pragmatic level, um, sound, it literally is waves floating through 
air, and and sound needs a medium through which to travel, and so uh, therefore I use the description of sound floating through air because that's what's happening. Um, but but the way that the ancients utilized sound, in particular in Egypt, is to really recognize the interconnection between particles floating through air and and the potential for actually vibrating the molecules inside the body. Um, It was amazing for me to actually go to Egypt and stand inside a few of the ancient temples which were designed specifically with acoustics in mind. And um, the feeling that I got while standing inside, uh, for example, the Great Pyramid um, and the King's Chamber was a feeling unlike any other feeling that I've experienced. It was a, a total body immersion, and from the tiniest sound, um, it was a full body vibration that, that I was experiencing. And the best terminology that I could come up with for that experience was audio honey, because it kind of felt like swimming in a dense, dense field of particles. So, um, you know, there's many different ways that the ancients use sound. Um, uh, one of those ways was to basically harmonize the hemispheres of the brain through mantra and toning, and obviously that's a very ancient Tibetan tradition. But um, the way that I like to think of sound, uh, as I mentioned, is as a primordial element. And um, I'd love to explore that further with you in this conversation as to really how to use sound creatively to uh, create balance and transformation in one's life. So you mean how I, as an individual, I can start eyeing and ooing and things like that? Yeah, at the very basic level, you know, uh, the one thing that I love about sound is, is that it's available to everybody, you know, in contrast to pharmaceuticals, which you have to go to a doctor and you have to get prescriptions. Um, I like to think of this field as vibraceuticals, you know, which is free to everybody. It's, and it's vibrational frequency medicine that you can really implement wherever you are, um, whether you're in the car or whether you're at home or you're with the kids or you're by yourself, wherever you are, it's readily available to you. Okay, now I want to go back for a moment. So you took a trip to Egypt and you went inside one of the pyramids and had this experience of sound honey. What were you doing? What did you do? Did you start making sounds? Did you play an instrument? Yeah, great, great question. Well, you know, I actually led an expedition to Egypt um, a few years back uh, with about... Uh, 15 people, most of whom were musicians, um, audio researchers. Um, and in this particular experience, uh, which to me was really the culmination of this journey, uh, the entire group went inside the Great Pyramid. And uh, I, I had this intuition to just kind of spend a little bit of time by myself inside the King's Chamber. And so as the rest of the group went down below in, into the bottom of the pyramid, I went up into the king's chamber by myself. And um, in order to enter the king's chamber, you need to literally get on all fours and crawl inside the king's chamber, and it's pitch black. Um, And so I crawled in there, and my first impression was just the intensity of my own breath because I was trying to be very quiet, you know, um, but, but just me shuffling and me breathing was literally filling the entire space. I mean, it was almost overwhelming. Um, so as I gradually settled down over the course of just, uh, you know, a few minutes, and I kind of centered myself and closed my eyes and began to breathe deeply, um, I could begin to hear my heartbeat. Um, and not only hear it inside my chest, but literally the acoustics of the room are, are so conducive to sound that I began to feel the entire space kind of fill with my heart beating. And that was pretty amazing to me. Um, so as I sat for a few more moments and, and began to get centered, um, you know, I began to tone. And uh, toning is just the creation of kind of elongated vowel sounds. And so, you know, I, I did uh, a couple of varieties of ohm and, and, and some other frequencies. And every sound that I made, um, if I made a sound for just one or two seconds, it would literally resonate for uh, up to two minutes. Um, and so, once again, it was kind of like this amazing kind of um, infinite generation machine of sound, you know, that was just so amazing to play with um, and, and to kind of um, synergize with. Sometimes I wonder if we knew what the ancients knew about sound and healing, what would our health world look like? What would our 
the world of medicine look like in the West? And I'm curious if you have some thoughts about that. You know, and Western medicine is amazing at dealing with acute issues and acute pathologies. And, you know, if you knock your knee and you scratch your knee, you could go to the doctor and he'll give you a Band-Aid. Um, but on a deeper level, um, Western medicine is still, you know, in its pre-adolescent phases of awareness of how our environment uh, and, and the frequencies in our environment actually affect our physiology and our consciousness. Um, you know, one of the greatest innovators, in my opinion, in the field of sound is Dr. Alfred Tomatis, who is a French ears and no, ear, nose, and throat doctor. And uh, what he discovered is the fact that sound waves actually nourish brain development. Uh, that literally sound is not just, you know, something that we use for pleasure, but sound waves, much like sunlight, actually nourishes plants. And, uh, you know, plants convert sunlight into sugar and into energy. Sound waves actually nourish the brain and create energy for the brain to perform many of its cognitive tasks. And so just this revelation alone... Um, no, 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 hold on. Let me ask a question about that. Specific yeah. types of sound waves nourish the brain? I mean, I could imagine some heavy metal sound waves actually hurting my brain. <laughs> yeah, great, great clarification. I mean, you know, for sure there are different uh, frequencies um, that are conducive um, to, to nourishment of the brain and other frequencies that actually have the opposite effect. And so that's, you know, what the entire field of psychoacoustics is devoted to which is really kind of clarifying and understanding which frequencies are nourishing the brain and uh, which frequencies are actually depleting the brain. And it's pretty, you know, it's not a dark science. It's, it's actually very, very intuitive. Um, usually the most nourishing frequencies to the brain, believe it or not, are frequencies which are found in nature. Uh, sounds of the ocean, the sound of a running stream, the sound of wind uh, brushing through the leaves of trees. Uh, the reason that these sounds are deeply nourishing, other than the fact that they're coming from nature and you know they're relaxing, is uh, the fact that they have full-spectrum frequencies. Um, in audio terminologies, um, many uh, different types of sounds that we hear have very limited bandwidths, and they have a very specific narrow window of frequency which they emanate. And the sound of the ocean, for example, if you were to look at it through a computer analysis program, you would actually see a complete spectrum from low to high of all of the frequencies in a very evenly distributed manner. And so that's what they're learning is that some of those frequencies that have that full spectrum characteristic are deeply, deeply nourishing to the human system. And what you're proposing is that our medical system would prescribe some of these frequencies. And, and like, for example, for what kinds of problems? For everything uh, ranging from insomnia, uh, which I think would be, you know, God, there's so many millions of people um, out there that are suffering from insomnia. And of course, you know, the number one prescription is some kind of pharmaceutical like Ambien or something like that. And uh, insomnia, uh, based on my research, has a lot to do with environmental factors, uh, obviously, which manifest in quote unquote stress, but uh, immediate environmental factors. Uh, such as uh, different types of ambient sounds in the environment that actually prevent a person from going into a deep state of relaxation. Um, a lot of the clients that I've worked with have actually invited to turn off their refrigerators, turn off their air conditioning units, turn off various types of mechanical sounds in their environment. And uh, just in doing that alone and creating a, you know, a very, very silent and tranquil environment, they've been able to induce sleep. And to take that one step further, yeah, absolutely. You know, the use of some kind of nature sound, I mean, preferably if you're by the ocean, you know, open your window and listen to the sound of the ocean, which I, while I'm in San Francisco, I love doing and I have the luxury of doing because the beach is right across the street. But absolutely, you know, I think there's many different ways that sounds um, and, and vibration in general can be integrated with Western medicine. Um, there's a whole other area um, of research within sound um, that I find quite fascinating, and it's the subject of binaural beats or binaural frequencies. And um, binaural beats is, is quite simply just playing two uh, slightly offset tones in the left ear and in the right ear. 
And what that does is that creates a third phantom tone uh, in the center of the brain. And what they've discovered is that actually the use of binaural frequencies can actually um, entrain the brain waves of humans. And, you know, um, in, in deep states of sleep, humans are usually in a delta brainwave state. Um, in meditative states, humans are usually in a theta state. So what they've discovered is that by putting on a pair of headphones and playing some binaural beats after the period of about, you know, 5 to 20 minutes, depending on the intensity, the actual brain waves of the humans become entrained um, to the rhythm of the binaural beats. So, you know, in, in a setting where somebody's coming and to the doctor and they're saying, gosh, doctor, you know, um, I'm having trouble sleeping, uh, just five minutes of a binaural beat. Uh, frequency might alleviate that problem. And, uh, you know, in addition to insomnia, there's a whole host of other things that I feel um, sound nutrients and vibraceuticals could be useful for um, in cases where people are feeling depressed um, or are experiencing a lack of energy. Uh, there are frequencies that can give them a boost. In fact, one of my favorite qu- quotes from Dr. Tomatis was, um, there are some frequencies in sound that are just as good as two cups of coffee. And uh, he really believed that. You know, uh, you're going to need to send me a special MP3 with those, Alex. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and, and the frequencies that are stimulating, you know, um, since, since you're interested in that, as, as higher frequencies. Um, because, you know, once again, um, my one of my passions in this field is to demystify um, the science and just make it really accessible to everyday people. And... Uh, you know, so kind of it kind of makes a little bit of sense. Lower, slower frequencies are relaxing. Higher, faster frequencies are stimulating. So I'll send you a special yeah, special Java upper yes. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, Alex, you've created a series that's called the Full Spectrum Sound Series, and yeah. you mentioned this term, full spectrum sound, and you also mentioned being just across the street from the ocean and. Both of those things combined make me want to talk about your release called Water in the Full Spectrum Sound Series. Tell us a little bit, first of all, about what the full spectrum sound of water is. What, what do you mean by that term, full spectrum? Is there part of the sound of water that is inaudible to me, but I can feel that you've captured on the record? Um, no, actually, okay. uh, what, the, the reason that we chose the term full spectrum was that, um, you know, it, partially well, due to what I've described earlier in this conversation, but also in part to the fact that a lot of frequencies, um, especially in Western society, are just not being utilized. For example, a lot of the musical tonalities that we hear in most Western music are utilizing, you know, eight notes um, and, and a very limited set of frequencies. Um, even in Indian music or any kind of Eastern music, uh, there's a concept called microtones, which is basically notes in between the notes that we experience you know, in, in Western music. And even that concept of microtones is limiting because there's tones in between tones, and then there's tones in between tones in between tones. And so one, uh, you know, one of the ways that I like to think about sound is, is once again, it's, it's something that really can't be limited um, by, um, by anyone or, or, or any concept. And, you know, sound frequency is, is an infinite spectrum of awareness. And so the Full Spectrum Sound Series was actually coined um, based on this concept of really introducing frequencies into the ears of the listener that they might not be accustomed to, that are kind of in between uh, the tones between the tones of what they're traditionally used to, to listening to. Does that make sense? Well, so they're all audible sounds, but you're yeah. emphasizing the audible sounds that are naturally within water? Absolutely, yeah. And, and in particular, in each of the discs that we used, uh, they, had a, you know, they had a specific focus. And um, my goal and my commitment with the series was to kind of transcend this um, you know, threshold of, of what I consider more new agey music um, that is, is wonderful, but yet nevertheless is kind of based more on personal interpretation. So I made a commitment with the series to base um, the sounds and, and, and the tracks 
within this series as much on science as possible. And so with this particular release, Water, uh, I had the great honor of uh, working with uh, several very innovative scientists and, and sound researchers uh, who actually went into the laboratory uh, and used a technique called infrared spectroscopic analysis. And infrared spectroscopic analysis is a relatively common technique that's used in uh, many laboratories, uh, chemistry laboratories, to basically um, discover the frequency of various molecules. So we used infrared spectroscopic analysis to analyze the water molecule, which is composed of hydrogen and oxygen. So within the laboratory, what, what we did is basically isolate the frequency of the hydrogen molecule, isolate the frequency of the oxygen molecule, and then we translated that very via a series of mathematical equations into sound frequencies. Um, and then at that point, what we did is, in order to precisely embody that harmonic relationship between hydrogen and oxygen, we actually created a custom series of instruments, which is uh, something uh, that most people don't know about the series. Um, but we actually created tuning forks that were tuned to like six decimal places of accuracy to these uh, infrared spectroscopic analysis of the hydrogen and oxygen molecules. We also created uh, chimes and a longer um, between two to four foot tubes, kind of metal tubes, which are similar to wind chimes that created some of the lower tones. So it was a whole spectrum of um, custom designed instruments that once again, just naturally, like even if you had no musical talent whatsoever, but you were to come up to these chimes or these tuning forks and strike two of them together, you would get an expression of what the actual harmonics of the water molecule would sound like. And I, I find that so fascinating. Okay, so we're about to listen to a track from water. Can you introduce this to us? It's, it's named after a molecule. Yeah, yeah, it's named after a molecule. And this track that we're listening to is, is called Molecule One. And um, with this entire series, once again, I, I, I made a real commitment to kind of um, demystify, take, take the woo-woo out of, <laughs> out of some of this stuff and just kind of give it a little bit more objective um, foundation and, and really allow the listener to create their own impression from what they're feeling as opposed to kind of creating a... a you know, spontaneous titles for, for things that are based on my own personal interpretation. So thus, all of the tracks on all of the entire series um, have very um, kind of objective names. And so this track that we're going to listen to is called Molecule One. And I invite the listener to just close your eyes and allow whatever impression comes to you to fully, fully saturate through your body.
So we've been listening to an excerpt from Molecule One from Water by Alex Theory. And Alex, a, a couple of questions and an observation. The observation was that I started feeling quite peaceful and everything slowed down and it was really enjoyable listening experience. The, the question is, how do you think that the listening experience that you've created using the molecular structure of water compares to simply listening to something like a recording of ocean waves? I love the sound of the ocean, and, and uh, I go out and listen to it as often as possible. Um, the, the way that this recording is very unique is that imagine being able to take the sound of the ocean and listen to it through an audio microscope. So literally get so deep into the sound that you're actually able to slow down some of those frequencies and, and tones that are being created through the sound of waves. And that's literally what you're experiencing when you're listening to this CD. Um, just like if you were to take um, you know, the sound of birds and actually pitch shift it and, and slow it down, you'd hear an entirely different soundscape. Um, same kind of concept with this particular series, is that we're trying to allow listeners to hear sound uh, in particular, the sound of the elements in ways that they've never heard it before. You know, in ways that really, without modern technology, may not be possible. And then, what about the fact that our bodies are composed so primarily of the same molecular structure, water? How do you think our bodies respond to hearing the frequency of the molecules that we are? Yeah, our bodies are a very vast percentage water, and uh, that varies from person to person, but, you know, it's somewhere between 70 and, and 80% water, and as is our planet, is, is mostly water. Um, so just the resonance of hearing sounds that are in alignment with that ever-prevalent and ever-present molecule is, is deeply powerful. Um, and, and that was really the, the concept and the foundation for this entire series is to take things that are all around us, like air and earth and light, and and hear them in new ways. And in, in many ways, I'm such a nature lover. And kind of in a subtle way, this was my my attempt at allowing people to appreciate nature in yet another way. Because sometimes I feel like, uh, you know, things like water and, and light and, Air, or they're just so ubiquitous that we take them for granted because we forget that they're all around us. But yet, uh, if we actually take a moment to slow down and really recognize how much of our existence really, really depends on these things, then we'd be so much more grateful for them. Now, you mentioned the element Earth as well, and we're going to hear in just a moment an excerpt from one of the tracks on the album Earth. Tell us a little bit how you went about creating this record. Yeah, so Earth was another really fun uh, album for me. Earth is based on a frequency in science known as the Schumann Resonance. And uh, there was a great scientist in the 1950s named uh, Winifred Ottoman Schumann who basically discovered that the Earth itself actually has a sound that's emitting in space. And now that we have much more sophisticated technology, such as satellites and various types of microphones that we could uh, translate sound frequencies from space, we've actually confirmed that. And so NASA regularly monitors the sound of the Earth from space. And you could actually go onto the NASA site if you wanted to Google uh, NASA and, and Schumann Resonance, and you could actually go and, and see you know, the, the Schumann resonance and see information about that. And the approximate frequency of the Earth is 7.8125 cycles per second. So it's a very low frequency. In fact, it's below the threshold of human hearing because the threshold of human hearing is about 20 cycles per second. But nevertheless, this frequency is present, and it actually affects all life on our planet. Uh, there was a great, you know, in, in preparing for this album, I did a lot of research about the Schumann Resonance and 
I came across a couple of interesting articles of uh, research during the 60s and 70s and, and 80s of various astronauts in space. And they, you know, one of the most fascinating pieces of research that I came across was a study where they actually put astronauts into an anechoic chamber, which is a chamber that is completely, completely silent, like no sound whatsoever, uh, for an, an extended period of time. I, I believe it was uh, 30 days or so. And they actually started to go crazy. <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense, you know. And it could be a variety of factors, I'm sure. But nevertheless, as part of this experiment, they were specifically testing sound. And what they did in a parallel um, study was they actually you know, kept the astronauts in a similar chamber for an exact amount of time, but they introduced the Schumann resonance via a, a low-frequency oscillator. And the astronauts were actually able to maintain their composure for you know, a, a much longer time. So they kind of came to the conclusion that just the absence of this very, very fundamental frequency, which we actually can't hear, but we can feel, actually creates a profound difference in our lives. And so the basis for this album, Earth, was based on this fundamental frequency of 7.8125. And in order for it to be audible, I basically used... Uh, harmonics, and I used uh, octaves of this frequency and basically tuned it to uh, a range that humans can hear. But nevertheless, the actual uh, harmonics are in perfect alignment, uh, very, very precise alignment with the frequency of the earth. And in fact, all of the instruments that we used, um, some of which were uh, tuning forks as well, but others were didgeridoos, which actually had custom designed, uh, which was quite a long process because most didgeridoo makers don't really craft didgeridoos to very precise frequencies. They just kind of make them according to what feels good. And so to go in and actually take, uh, you know, a tuner and uh, sit there, it took months actually for this one particular developer to come up with this didgeridoo, but they finally did. And uh, then we also used a very unique drum. Um, it was uh, a water drum, actually, that, that was kind of like a a giant gourd, half of a giant gourd floating in a giant tub of water. And the way that you adjust the frequency is by basically adding or subtracting water, and that actually shifts the frequency. And uh, it's actually a very magical story about that drum because uh, one of my good friends, uh, Gabriel Baez, who's the son of uh, famous folk singer Joan Baez, came over because I asked him to play some percussion on this album, and uh, you know, I kind of explained to them that everything on this album is tuned to these very precise frequencies. And so we're probably going to have to spend hours just tuning the drum to these frequencies. And um, so to make a long story short, we, you know, filled the tub with water and he puts the drum down and starts to play. And I look at the, the spectrometer and it's exactly, exactly at the frequency that we needed for the recording. <laughs> we were both kind of like, oh my God, this is, Pretty interesting. No, no, you mentioned changing the shape or size or construction of a didgeridoo to get the right frequency. Mm-hmm. What did you do to the didgeridoos to make them come to the Schumann resonance? Well, you, you know, first and foremost, it, it's a very long didgeridoo to get the, the low frequency that we needed. Uh, once again, you know, to make the didgeridoo audible, um, we had to octavize the Schumann resonance. So we actually decided to raise the frequency to 125, which is 16 times 7.8125. So it's a, it's a perfect harmonic uh, octave of the Schumann resonance. And even 125 is an extremely low, low frequency. And so what the craftsman did is, is cut a giant ditch, a very long ditch, and then gently shave away at the inside, you know, and shave away um, the, the inner chamber to actually uh, shift the frequency. You know, and actually had to cut the freak, the didgeridoo into shorter and shorter lengths to get closer and closer to that precise frequency. Okay, and now you mentioned that satellites out in space are measuring the frequency of the Earth, this mm-hmm. Schumann resonance, to see if it changes over time. And I'm curious, is it changing? Is it changing as we add layers of pollution to the Earth and things like that, or has it remained relatively constant? That's That's a 
question that I get asked all the time, and the Schumann resonance in and of itself is relatively constant. Everything in nature has a fluctuation, has a breath in and a breath out. And so there is a subtle oscillation in the Schumann resonance. And it oscillates between, let's say, 7.81 and 7.83. So there's this tiny, tiny oscillation. But contrary to what uh, a lot of people believe, the Schumann resonance is not changing drastically. Um, at least not yet. You know, um, I... I definitely don't believe that that's beyond the realm of possibility, that the frequency of our planet could shift dramatically. But um, even though I wholeheartedly believe that the pace and the consciousness of this planet is accelerating, so far it hasn't reflected in very concise scientific data to, to validate that the sound of the planet is actually shifting. Okay, let's listen. This is a, a track from Alex Theory's CD, Earth.
That's from the CD Earth by Alex Theory. Alex, listening to it, I had the feeling of being away from the earth, swirling in space and listening back. And I don't know if that's just because of the conversation we had about the measurement of this Schumann frequency by astronauts, but was that something intentional, that that experience, the swirling experience? Absolutely, yeah. And and, and even the experience of experiencing the earth uh, from space was definitely one of the prevalent concepts um, during this recording just once again with the intention of uh, giving the listener a slightly different um, perspective on something that's so ubiquitous, you know, um, you know th- that they may not notice it. <laughs> this frequency of the Earth, the Schumann frequency, is it the same if I'm walking on the Earth as if I'm, you know, 10,000 miles away or 100,000 miles away in space? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Uh, quite amazingly, it is. Because um, if you can imagine, uh, I mean, just imagine uh, a, a giant speaker that's set to a very, very precise oscillation. Uh, the intensity of the frequency may change um, it, the closer you are to the object, but nevertheless, the actual frequency itself is consistent. And I'll tell you one tiny bit of knowledge that is even more fascinating to me, <laughs> actually, uh, a deeper question is, how is the Schumann resonance created? Yeah. The Schumann, and, and when I learned this, I was just kind of like, wow. That's a good this, question, Alex. This, this is amazing. I was just kind of like, there's, there's something magical happening here. So the Schumann resonance is created through the sound of lightning striking the surface of our planet simultaneously around the entire planet, you know, uh, 24 hours a day. That's literally how the Schumann resonance is created. And these lightning strikes, uh, literally like a hammer striking a bell, create what's called a terrestrial, meaning Earth, standing wave, which is just a a sound wave that is consistent. So the lightning striking our planet, all around the surface of our planet and the various places throughout our Earth, is actually creating a wave, a, a field that's emanating consistently out into space. How amazing is that? Okay, hold on a second. Lightning strikes, not at regular intervals, but whenever lightning strikes, right? That's, hey, lightning strikes. Yeah. So what you're saying is whenever lightning strikes, this is the sort of sound that comes in its afterwake. Well, let's take that one step further. So imagine this. Lightning is striking around our planet right now. In fact, in the various parts of our planet, there is lightning striking every single second of the day. It's common understanding in science that there's thunderstorms and and different types of uh, electrical phenomenon happening all around our planet uh, throughout the day on a regular basis. And just like if you were to strike a bell, um, the, the strike of the bell would be instantaneous, but yet the sound would ring out for an extended period of time. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what happens is that, like, if, a, you know, a lightning strikes in one part of the planet, it's going to create a sound wave, and that wave is going to ring out, and as that wave is ringing out, another lightning strike is going to happen, and thus what happens is it creates a continuous chain of sound. And thus, that's called a terrestrial standing wave. So, really, your record, Earth, could have been called the sound of when lightning strikes. <laughs> yes, it could have. Uh, you know, it could have in, 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 in a different incarnation. And I'm actually so fascinated by the Schumann resonance uh, and, and by this phenomenon that I'm considering uh, doing another recording specifically dedicated to that um, and kind of delving a little bit deeper because there's so many different layers that you could explore. One of my favorite recordings that I've ever heard uh, was one of my colleagues actually played the sound of lightning slowed down by about 80 times. And you know what it sounded like? No. It sounded like John Coltrane. <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, it was like this kind of sporadic, but yet j- kind of jazzy, but just, I mean, incredible cacophony of tones and and frequencies. It was it was quite phenomenal. It was like listening to the jazz of, of God. <laughs> 
You know, what's interesting is that I, I notice in myself when you even talk about the Schumann resonance and in listening to the excerpt that we heard from Earth, I, I feel this kind of love for that frequency. I wonder if that has some truth for you in the process of creating the record. Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, to me, I am a, I'm a deep lover of, of this vast and incredible jewel that we live upon. Uh, and, and, and I, you know, I'm just such a, such a fan, <laughs> such an honoree of, of the earth. And um, I, I bow down to it almost every day and just give thanks for this incredible opportunity to be alive on this planet. And, you know, I just, sometimes we take it for granted. We get caught up in whatever we're doing, our emails and, you know, all our relationships and stuff like that. But it's just so amazing that we're floating in this tiny, tiny, tiny bubble in space in this giant, giant universe. And so, you know, I, I have n- nothing but love for this tiny bubble that we live upon. And, and uh, I, I celebrate for all of us humans that are alive on this planet that, you know, we, we continue to love ourselves and to love our planet as much as possible. Many people feel, I think, this love for the Earth in different ways, love of nature, love of forests, but I'm talking about even this love for this sound frequency. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's another way of connecting to a very unique phenomenon, uh, which is when babies are born, they've done a plethora of research to observe how the actual sound of the mother affects babies. What they've discovered is that just the sound of the mother's heartbeat is deeply, deeply relaxing and grounding for babies. In absence of this heartbeat, you know, babies experience anxiety and and all kinds of adverse emotions. And so, you know, metaphorically speaking, that's that's how I perceive the, the Schumann resonance is literally the sound of our mother's heartbeat, you know, and, and tuning into that frequency is deeply calming. It's deeply grounding. It's deeply affirming and deeply centering. Wonderful. We're going to end our conversation, Alex, by playing an excerpt from a CD that you created with Daniel Pinchbeck, who's the author of the book 2012, The Return of Quetzalcoatl. And you and Daniel paired up to create an album called Emergence 2012. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I had a chance to work with my buddy Daniel from New York, um, and who obviously is an incredible expert on uh, the, the Mayan civilization and the phenomenon of 2012. And we got together and brainstormed, uh, you know, how, how we were going to express this uh, phenomenon in in very concrete and grounded ways, which is my commitment to create media that has a foundation in science, but that's expressing that scientific foundation in creative ways. And so we did a little history research, historic research on the Mayan civilization and discovered that fundamental to the Mayan history and and the Mayan calendar is this concept of Bakhtuns, which a Bakhtun is a 400-year cycle of uh, civilization that basically... You know, the Mayans believed that during each of these 400-year cycles, humanity goes through different phases in its development. And each of these cycles has a unique and particular expression. So we decided to base the tracks on this particular CD on the 13 Bakhtun cycles. And 13 is a very important number to the Mayans. Um, and it's, it's found throughout many of their calendrical expressions and, and, and various depictions. And so we use 13 Bakhtuns, which is a complete cycle. So from 0 till 12 is the complete cycle of the Bakhtuns. And after 12, it resets and it goes back to 0. And within the actual individual Bakhtuns, you know, we used a variety of different um, mathematical numbers that were very important to the Mayans, such as the number 20, the number 13, um, various other kinds of frequencies that we embedded in, into this particular recording to kind of metaphorically and symbolically tune into that mythos. 
the idea of emergence, that something is emerging. What do you think in terms of sound and the role that sound will play in this emergence? What are your thoughts about that? I'm deeply, deeply excited uh, at the possibility and the probability and the inevitability of the re-emergence of the consciousness and the power of sound on our planet. And I recognize that in order to come into full awareness and, and consciousness as activated humans on our planet, we need to develop a deeper understanding of these primordial uh, foundations that we are created from. Sound is one of those primordial foundations. And so as we enrich our understanding of sound, and as we activate it, like the Egyptians did, um, to the use of sound on our planet, uh, from our daily lives to the scientific environment to our entertainment, and we really begin to reactivate the full power of sound, uh, we're going to activate an aspect of our own consciousness that's laying dormant and that's, uh, quite frankly, being underutilized. And so, to me, this concept of emergence, you know, um, I, I personally believe that as humans, we're emerging on a daily basis. We always have the opportunity to emerge from a previous version of ourselves. And so, I perceive this, you know, coming cycle and this, this um, you know, flag post, so to speak, of 2012 is just a, in, in a unique opportunity for humans on our planet to consciously focus on what it means to be human, what it means to coexist with billions of people simultaneously, what it means to, you know, interact with our environment and our ecology, and in this particular case, what it means to have such a saturation of sound on our planet. You know, I mean, everything that we create, all the machines are making some kind of sound, and, and to this date... We haven't really put a lot of thought as to what that sound is actually doing to our bodies and our physiologies and our entire planet. And I imagine a future one day when we're so conscious of the power of sound that all of the machines that we create, including cars and refrigerators, are not only designed to perform their unique functions, but they're also designed with this understanding of sound and designed with the intention of creating sound that is harmonious to the human physiology. So instead of general electric, it's going to be, you know, golden ratio. I like it, I like it. <laughs> you know? That's a good entrepreneurial idea there. Okay, Alex, two <laughs> final questions. <laughs> two final questions. The first, you never said anything about the tights that you wore when you came to Sounds True that very first day. Yeah, I love those, um, those pants. They're I don't think you can call those pants. Okay, we could call them tights. They're, they're organic cotton yoga pants, and they're designed by my friends uh, at Phoenix Rising, and they're just so fun. I, I wear them at a lot of the different festivals and speaking engagements, um, at least, you know, most of them, not, not the stuffy scientific ones, but, but the fun ones. And they're just amazingly comfortable, and, and they're an expression of uh, my inner fire and creativity. Okay, wonderful. And then the final question, tell us about the track that we're going to hear. Which Bach tune from Emergence 2012? This is Bach tune 5 from Emergence 2012, and um, it's, it's one of my favorites, and it turns out that this is one of the favorites of you know, Shiva Ray and a bunch of other different yoginis and yogis. Um, and, and to me, for some reason, when I listened to it, I could almost imagine, even though we didn't use any Tibetan throat singers or anything like that, I just have this feeling like the soul of that energy is present. And that was actually kind of the intention of this Bach tune uh, to, to express uh, that archetypal moment in human history when the Tibetan civilization was developing. And so this is Bach tune 5.
from Emergence 2012, a record created by Daniel Pinchbeck and Alex Theory, creatively working together. Alex, thank you so much for being with us on Insights at the Edge and introducing us to much of the music you've created here with Sounds True, your full-spectrum sound series on water, earth, air, and light, as well as the record Emergence 2012. Thank you so much, Tammy, and thank you for the work that you do. Uh, It's an honor and a privilege, and uh, may we both continue to do what we love. Likewise, it's always uplifting to talk with you. You are a, a love force. Likewise. For Sounds True, this is Tammy Simon. Many voices, one journey. Soundstrue.com. <laughs>